0: Frankie Sanatra, Ah, Frank Sanatra. Frankie, me boy, don't know you have a twofing voice to sing calypso. What did they say? Ah, Frankie Sanatra. Ah, Frank Sanatra. Frankie, me boy, don't know you have a twofing voice to sing calypso. What did they say? Ah, Frankie Sanatra. Ah, Frank Sanatra. Frankie, me boy, don't. Syncalypse. What did they say? Ah, Frankie Sinatra. Ah, Frank Sinatra. Frankie, me boy, don't know. You have a booby voice to Calypso What did they say? Frankie, me boy, don't know. You have a booby voice to Calypso oh. Office Walker He's office walker Please, Mr. Officer, I only had some vodka. Little marijuana. Just a few bacon and only ring
1: was... Welcome to the Savage Beast podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Joe Gallagher. With me, uh, as always, is Paul McLeod. Hi, I'm A- Paul. And with us, uh, as for the he second is time, sometimes, Taylor
0: Sean.
2: <laughs> Good evening, gentlemen.
0: Good evening. Hey. If Taylor's here, Joe, we must be talking about um, movies.
1: Yes. True.
2: <laughs> true stories Oh once, Oh
1: wow And once we have our beer podcast Taylor will come on To talk about bourbon Yeah it's, it's
2: <laughs> But um, in, in trying to play fair We are also going to talk about an album That you guys were like Hey we're going to talk about this album So you should listen to this album And I did
0: Yeah Yes um, Taylor yeah, is participating
1: tr- In the regular course of business Here at Savage Beast Yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah, the uh, track we played for you all was uh, Frank Sinatra. Is it Frankie Sinatra, did they call it? Frankie, think, yeah. Frankie yeah. Sinatra, yes, which is uh, the lead single from the brand new, as of uh, two days ago, when three days ago when we are recording this, uh, Avalanche's album, the first in 16 years, uh, Wildflowers, which is awesome, if you ask me.
1: Uh, yeah, I uh, loved it. Um, it definitely, uh, you know, lived up to my expectations of the avalanches uh it didn't seem like 16 years later they could have released this two years after the last one um and fooled me uh except i would have been wondering who danny brown was at that point yeah but uh <laughs> otherwise um you know when it comes to the part that's distinctly the avalanches um it's all still there uh which is impressive that since their band has been whittled down from i believe six members to two but apparently, it's the two most important members. Uh, yeah. So they're all those um, uh, fantastic, unexpected, beautiful breaks and collages are all there.
0: Yeah the uh, the thing I'm impressed with is the uh, the way it it melds like good vibrations and also just like um, particularly on a, I think it's uh, if I was a folk star. It was one of the other tracks I really liked that um, gets gets that combination of like cool party vibes, but also a sort of uh, uh, I don't know longing sadness at the same time. That is uh, sort of weird and unique to this kind of music. So totally. Uh, so my
2: my perspective on this I had no idea who these guys were. I thought I did, but the second I listened to the first two tracks, I'm like, yeah, I, I clearly thought these were someone else. Um, <laughs> but, but when you guys were like, Oh yeah, this new album. Yeah. da da da," And I was like, well, should I stream it or buy it? And Paul, I think you said like, I mean, it's, uh, f- I think fucking amazing, but you know, stream it, do whatever you're going to do. And I'm like, eh, Paul, if, if you're telling me something is like that good, it's, it's worth <laughs> my $10. Like just, even if it sucks, cause, and this did not. Um, but I, I really went into this completely blind, um, I would say my only thing is it's such, well, first of all, it's like a party in your ear and everyone's invited. It's such a positive Mm -hmm. and yet weird and trippy, but like not in a bad way. Not in like, oh, this is going to be a long, dark night of the soul. It's more like there's still sunshine in the universe and we found it sort of thing. Yeah, no,
0: it's not grating or or, uh, 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 what's the word? It's not antagonistic to its audience at all. Like a lot of trippy things can sometimes be.
2: I would say, though, um, other than Frank Sinatra, and actually the other song that stood out on its own to me was uh, actually, I guess, back-to-back, Living Underwater and Wizard of Iz, or The Wizard yeah. of Iz. Um, yeah, those were great. I, it, one thing I did have to do is I had to keep looking at my phone to be like, wait, are we in a new track now? And not in a bad way, it's it's just sort of a long tunnel of music, and sometimes it's hard to tell which part of it you're in.
0: Oh, that's totally their thing. the The other album is also even more so like that yeah <laughs> okay. yeah it's sort of like you, wherever the break
1: is it's kind of just arbitrary like that's where they need to yeah they need to make different songs it can't just be one long uh uh jam because if you go to youtube for the avalanches and you know there's just all these kind of amazing dj sets that they did in the early 2000s and i mean there aren't there are only distinct, you know, samples. There aren't any distinct songs within it, and uh, they're usually like these thirty-minute-long sets. Um, and I think they would make an album like that too if they, if they felt they could get away with it.
2: So yeah. to put this in perspective of you remember your guys' episode about how you listen to music, especially new music, the first time. Um, the first mm-hmm. half of this album to, was listened to today while walking my kid around in the sun. The second half was waiting to do this podcast tonight while playing the original Mario Kart Rainbow Road over and over again. <laughs> uh, not because I awesome. was trying for any theme, but because I kept like getting knocked off the course in the final round, so I had to restart <laughs> the whole level. So.
0: Those was, goddamn no-wall Mario Kart uh, tracks, I never got uh, good at them, and I uh, hate them.
2: Uh, <laughs> like The only way to win is to drive very slowly and just hope <laughs> you make it to the last round and then go nuts. Um but yeah, this album's fantastic.
0: Cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Taylor. I, I picked it because... Or I suggested it to you, not just because you were going to be on here, but I figured it would be uh, something that appealed to you. So I'm glad I was right. I mean, it's... Uh, it's for your sake.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. I, but it's it's surprisingly... <laughs> I'm not going to say retro, because I don't even know what it's going to throw back to, but it's just weird how you can have something so trippy, electronic, but it's positive. It's it's sort of got a Saint Elsewhere, Gnarls Barkley vibe. I mean, it's, it's very much its oh, own yeah. thing, but... How rare is that? I mean you guys tell me how rare is that to get a band where especially first album in sixteen years and it's like, hey, we're just gonna make your life better with music.
0: Uh yeah, you know, there's plenty of sample based music out there, but uh, you're right. It tends to be more like Um I mean, like even somebody like Mad Lib isn't exactly dark, but it's more it's more like um weird psychedelic trippy and less like just sort of uh you know happy am radio from the 70s type of trippy um i don't know does that sound right to you joe
1: uh yeah i mean they have um a taste in music and you know where where they like want to use like a sample from a radio play or something like that and i don't i really don't think um there are any other of these sample based artists that um are quite so eclectic
0: in yeah. their approach i mean something like taylor have you ever listened to girl talk
2: uh n- not like i've sat down and listened to an album but I- i've heard random i've heard people play me random songs yeah
0: okay because that's pretty upbeat is the only reason i brought that up and it's definitely but not it's right. not that's more mashup the, than samples per se yeah that, and that's
1: like everything is recognizable in his songs almost. yeah right this yeah
2: this is um this reminds me of uh, the, the only thing I can think of is in a completely different medium, um, but there's this book. I like bought it for, I think, three different relatives because I was just... Yes, I still haven't finished it, but it's called uh, Capital, and it was like a 10-year project by this poet to do an entire book about the history of New York City from 1900 to 2000, and it's all written in other people's words, mm. but, it, but it's arranged, and, and he got permission for none of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's all arranged in such a way that, like, even if you could find one thing like, oh, yeah, it's from this book, you wouldn't know it. It's all been completely repurposed for something else. And that's,
0: Ah, I guess that's
2: the thing. Girl talk is fun. It's clever. But this is on a whole other level.
0: Totally. I agree with that. Um, That's interesting. I never thought about sampled poetry for some reason. Um, But that makes sense. That's cool uh all right does anybody have any uh final thoughts on the avalanches or shall we move to our main topic only that in the interest oh go ahead
1: well i would just say that only that um i i it's i'm not sure we just said i guess you said at the beginning paul but it's it's fucking awesome uh and it's an instant soundtrack to uh any party that you have um people will be asking what is this where can i get it
0: now you can sequence two straight hours of parties with avalanches music instead of just one. There you go. So, and um, I could listen.
2: I could listen to the Frank Sinatra song all day. Which, in fact, that's that's <laughs> why I didn't hear the back half of the album until this evening because I just I just kept playing that song over and over. Again.
0: Oh, I, Taylor, I think oh, I think you would like the first album, but at the very least, you have to go listen to Frontier Psychiatrist. Yes. Uh, uh, after this, you okay. will you will love that. Song. Rules,
1: done. Um, uh, the one other thing I'll say is I thought that the. Um, Various MCs were fit into this very well. Like they, they, yeah, it never seemed like um either the producers or the rapper were like, you know, taking too much of the lead. They worked quite harmoniously,
0: which was cool. I agree. Has there been a track with Doom and Danny Brown on it before?
1: I, you know, there's so many tracks with both of them, especially Danny <laughs> Brown, that it's just, yeah, I have no idea.
0: Yeah, we should get Danny Brown to do a guest verse on our podcast. That's the
1: ultimate goal. Uh, That's like one of the list <laughs> of 10 goals that we that we want to check off.
0: I think if we at him enough on Twitter, it might happen. Yeah, he seems to be pretty open. So, um,
2: Or a cease and desist letter, you know, whatever comes first.
0: <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, so the main topic for tonight, uh, as I said, we're going to be talking about movies. And uh, we decided to once again tie music and movies together, this time by doing movies about music, Uh, namely two classics, Gimme Shelter about the Rolling Stones and their tour leading up to the infamous Altamont concert, and then uh, Stop Making Sense, the um, extremely different concert movie about the Talking Heads um, directed by Jonathan Dem, is it Demi or Dem? I don't even know.
2: I, I wanna say Demi,
0: but I'm I think it's wrong. Demi. I think it's Demi. Um, it's whatever you. In wish. his directorial debut, I believe. Um, is, is
2: that is that right? All right, I, I will check that. I I don't know if that's true, but if, I I think
0: I read that, but uh, I mean man, I man what a start!
2: If that's true. <laughs>
0: um. No, I seem to be wrong about that.
1: Yeah, I think you made that one up.
0: <laughs> I swear I read it, but it's it's. I don't know where if I did that person was wrong. Um anyway, uh one of his early films.
2: Yes. That part is that part is true, but yeah, no, he made some other movies before then.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: um before before so we yeah. dive in, you know, uh I think we have kind of a um s- sorted history with um concert films between us. Uh that's that sounds pretty <laughs>
2: That makes it actually sound worse than it is. Um <laughs> You know, I, I don't guest on this podcast unless it gets weird, so by all means make it weird. Oh, we're gonna make it weird. Um
1: uh I I think uh in high school it's safe to say that um my favorite concert film was the Smashing Pumpkins Vuforia, which is actually sort of a live mixtape that combines um uh you know songs from all over their siamese dream tour uh with some really weird scripted and unscripted segments with the band um uh anyway somehow we all i feel like paul you guess you were probably the only one who did not own a copy at that time Um, yeah
0: i don't i still think i don't actually that's crazy
1: um (laughs) But I, we felt, I feel like we'd watch it whenever possible. And one of those times uh, turned out to be a Taylor's birthday party at his house where uh, I think um, me and a couple of our other friends pretty much just hijacked the VCR, which I'm sure, Taylor, you were trying to play something you actually want to watch on. And we were <laughs> like, no, we're watching this entire Smashing Pumpkins movie now.
2: Actually, the, um, so that's partly true. Um, how I remembered is that you guys were like, "Oh yeah, we're just gonna watch this a little bit." Like it'll, it was it was one of these things where it's like oh, it'll yeah. be it'll be over any minute now. Like oh it's just the end of this video. I, it was, I was kind of a good sport about it at the beginning, but then I, I was like, <laughs> "How long is like what, are we watching this whole thing? Like what the f- what is this?" Um, and then I think TJ and I just went, like went back to my room and played video games until it was over. I think <laughs> that sounds right.
0: So, I can't remember if I was actually there for this event. I think I might not have been. And if I was, I think I must have been drunk because I really don't remember it. We definitely well, were not drunk.
2: Yeah, not, okay. not drunk. I think it might have been, like, Jesse was there, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, maybe Greg? I don't know. Was, was Greg a big pumpkin head? I don't remember. <laughs> he actually. was. Oh, yeah. God,
0: yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. But this could have been in, like, ninth grade. So, Paul, you may have, like, not been friends with Taylor
2: then yet.
0: That's true. That's I wasn't I, friends with Taylor until s- 10th grade. Yeah, I'm yeah, going to guess true. it
1: actually may have been 9th grade. Uh, okay.
2: That sounds right. Now, looking back, if, if you take your love of the pumpkins out of it, because I can't be objective, because my memory of it is like, you're ruining my birthday. Um, is <laughs> like actually a good concert film? I mean, put aside your love of the pumpkins. Like, Is it, is it an interesting movie, or is it just sort of like, here's some well, performances and stuff?
1: Uh, I would say that, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins are a great, like, objectively, a great live band if you like alternative rock music. And the um, it certainly captures, like, some really fucking powerful performances by them. Um, and uh, so I, if you like, I don't, I don't know, how you might not even need to love the Smashing Pumpkins, but if you like, you know, alternative rock music from the 90s in general, I think... You would enjoy this movie and now probably get um, kind of an am- amused kick out of the uh, little segments in between, which have a, you know, uh, 90s grunge. I don't give a fuck what, you know, about anything vibe to them. Slacker vibe.
2: <laughs> uh, okay yeah if that's
1: <laughs> I didn't know if that's what you're asking but that's my
2: well I I mean the, one of the reasons I'm asking is that when I I sort of teased on Facebook like hey we're doing two of the greatest concert films of all time and one that a lot of people brought up was the last waltz which I, I'm sure I'm immediately disqualifying myself because I have not seen it I've heard it's great haven't seen it it's the Scorsese movie uh, about uh, I think, the band yes um, but a lot of the other ones people mentioned are like oh you know, Billy Joel here or Dylan here or and the point is not just to be like if you're just filming a a performance in the audience that's fine it could be a great record of a performance but that like a concert film has to take it to another level or convey another message or uh, document a time and a place and so I guess the point is when you're saying oh these little sketches they're amusing if you don't have a profound love of the band I wonder if they're just like wow this is really kind of self-indulgent fan service if you're not a fan and I don't know uh, yeah you know
0: I don't think I don't think anybody regards euphoria as some sort of classic monument of uh concert filmmaking yeah I like think it's
1: that. it's not even in the same I would not even try and compare it in any way to um you know the classics of 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 you know concert rock films Got yeah it. it's Got just it's just <laughs> yeah it's it's much it's not a lower level than that so give me a shot. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of things that are not what we just said, um, man, wait, wait. I had never seen this movie. Wait, I have a yeah.
1: question. I have a question. Uh, uh, yeah. How did you guys become friends?
0: Uh, we just uh, basically, uh, this is, I don't know, this story might be totally lame for people who weren't our friends in high school. <laughs> <laughs> That's half the people listening. <laughs> Maybe, Joe. We get 500 listeners uh, who are probably robots on all our episodes. Um, anyway, um, w- remember you and Jeff Miller and Phil Marcunas and I all ate lunch every day in ninth grade, Joe. Yes. And then, uh, for whatever reason, that group broke up. Um, honestly, I can't really specifically say why. And uh, I ended up sort of just tagging along with you into uh, the debate kids circle. And so then we would always eat lunch every day that one corner around the trash can and andrew hill would be a dick to us and um oh man the that was 10th grade yeah
1: yeah, yeah. that's wow it's one wonder- yeah why did we stop eating lunch with phil and jeff miller i don't know probably yeah. something to do with the debate team
0: i think it was more like you were more friends now with the debate kids so yes. that was where you wanted to go yes
2: well and um, um i mean for what it's worth joe and i because seventh grade, we kind of knew each other, but it was more eighth grade because we had every single class together.
1: Right. Yes. We were not friends in seventh grade. We were just like second degree friends.
0: Yes.
2: But in the eighth grade, it's like, oh, hi, every, every, every literally way. every single class. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, then, you know, that group also had, we need to stop talking about this, but that <laughs> group also had like TJ, whom you'd been friends with forever, Joe. So yes, it made sense. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, we'll
2: anyway. fix post.
1: All right. Right. Fascinating. (laughs) Welcome to the Breakfast Show.
0: Yeah, so Gimme Shelter. Uh, Taylor, had you watched this movie before uh, we prepared for this?
2: Yes, um, I had. It was one of those, I, it was actually a blind criterion buy on re- Reputation Alone, but like two years ago, I think. And okay, it, it absolutely lived up to everything I had heard about it. And it was even more interesting because I had sort of weirdly on my own became a huge Rolling Stones fan in the 90s, which I, I know that makes no sense. But it's one of these things where it's like, I think I had gotten their new album, which they were trying to be hip, and it actually had kind of worked on me. But then the more I went back into their back catalog, it was like, wow, there's all this stuff that I really like. And like the more I read about, and then to actually see this film and realize, I, I mean, I'll be, I really want to know your guys' take, but to realize like, wow, they really were such a, and are such a calculated, cynical band. And this is kind of the first time it hmm. all blew hmm. up in their face. Um, <laughs> and keep in mind, when I say calculated and cynical, I'm not saying. I don't think their music is good. I think it is. But you watch them in their performances. You watch, like, Mick Jagger planning. You watch them with their lawyer and everything. It's like, no, they they thought about everything to make as much money and influence as possible. And this is the... Not only is, like, this is when that image sort of shattered, but also the 60s itself kind of just all came crashing to a halt. And it happened to get caught on, you know, these random guys following them for... T- seventeen days I think, happened to catch it on film and just like whoa.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. You touched on three at least three different themes that I thought about that you can separate out from when you're trying to discuss this movie, which is one, the movie itself, two is the Rolling Stones, and three is uh the historical moment that's captured here because it you know, it it was made into, in retrospect at least, and really starting maybe right after it happened, like the fulcrum upon which the '60s counterculture turned into the '70s, so uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, uh, first of all, I, I think maybe we'll we'll talk about what you already brought up, which was the the cynicism of the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting to me because I actually didn't totally feel that way watching it. Um, you know, so of course yeah, now neither, it's did like I. neither that, that yeah word
1: did not come to my mind.
0: Yeah. So here it is two thousand sixteen and um you know the Rolling Stones have been sticking around they stuck around certainly as long as they could. I don't uh, would they still be considered active? Do they oh, when yeah. was the last time they released an yeah, album? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: they're they're going on tour again, I think. But okay. Yeah, yeah, making new albums. They may have made one in the two thousand tens.
0: Yeah. Well either way, that doesn't yeah. matter too much to my point, which okay. is that they're <laughs> I don't know. Does the fact that they're still playing as they approach 80 suggest that they are uh, really committed to the music or that they just love being they love the trappings of being big rock stars so much that they can't let go? I guess maybe it doesn't cut any obvious direction. I
1: I will answer with seem like the only two
2: options, but go ahead.
0: True. And it could be a mixture.
2: There's a uh, there's a separate Stones concert film. Uh, I was trying to find the Ebert review of Gimme Shelter. I couldn't, but I found a reference to it in a different review. Uh, it's, it's some concert film called Let's Spend the Night Together. And Ebert says, the Rolling Stones, who claim they're the greatest rock band in the world, and he's like, well, they're certainly the most durable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Such, <it's, laughs> those are the best insults, the ones that are <laughs> almost not insults, but really are um (laughs) i mean look anyway and
2: ebert's gone but the stones are still i mean like how many (laughs) drugs and sex and everything and yet they're still gonna play la later this year you
0: know how many how many hell's angels (laughs) murdering black men near them and they're still alive um yeah um so that's interesting that you you felt cynical about it while it was while you were watching it um i felt like first of all uh, it really uh it was really interesting to see Mick Jagger perform, especially in the early uh, scenes from the New York show.
2: Mm-hmm. God, God, how young did he look? I mean... Yeah. I, I know. First of all, it's
0: like... Oh, go ahead.
2: Uh, just, I mean, I know like when we were born, they were already old, but now they're really old. But yeah. then you, you just look at this footage, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, I really... yeah, Like, no wonder.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, he was... He had a really hard job <laughs> because he had to, first of all, most of the other band members, even Keith Richards, are pretty much just standing there. Um, yeah,
2: how bored did they look?
0: I know, especially like Mick Taylor, who had just joined the band. Um, but uh, yeah, so he, it's really amazing how goofy he could act. And this is an important contrast or or point of comparison we can make with David Byrne later, but... Um, how how over the top Mick Jagger could be and yet he sort of kind of pulled it off despite being this pasty English guy um and yeah you can see why he became a huge star uh you know what you can see what the essence of his stardom was right there
1: well I mean he is yeah I mean other than him being like one of the best rock singers of all time
0: yeah
2: but I think Paul completely in line with that the disconnect between when he's I, I actually wrote notes on this one just because it's. I wanted to make sure I, I was got a lot of my points, and one of them is that that image of him. It I think it's before the last set at Madison Square Garden before they go to Altamont, but where he's just waiting up. Like first of all, you got Ike and Tina Turner playing opening for the Rolling Stones, which that's just yeah, that's a mindfuck. <laughs> but while they're while they're playing, and um, you got Mick Jagger waiting backstage with like his prop hat <laughs> in his hand, and he's kind of talking to the girls, and he just he looks like a gawky teenager and then he walks out and he's a sex god
0: yeah no uh it is a little weird i agree but it's it, that makes sense i mean most performers i bet I, I bet tina turner acts a lot different when she's backstage too you know she's probably not um uh pantomiming fellatio on the spoon she eats her ice cream with
2: because <laughs> uh. <laughs> that doesn't happen True. <laughs>
0: um yeah that was incredible that profo- that brief Bits yeah, of the, the wow. turtles' performance that they wow. gave us. Yeah, <laughs> visually,
1: audibly,
2: <laughs> and and then also just i mean, just just the you know the benefit of hindsight, foresight, whatever you want to call it. But to see I and Tina and then be like, wow, but I know what happened and like, yeah, they yeah. sounded good, but what shit was going on backstage?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, and it, it makes you it makes you think like how much did that get sublimated into their performance? Right. Um, yeah sure a lot um, <laughs> but yeah so with the cynicism it's interesting that you bring that up because I read a lot of essays about this movie actually mm-hmm. uh, the, the yeah, last night and today and that was definitely a theme at the time um, from lots of different points of view so like Rolling Stone after the Altamont concert wrote uh, and maybe, I won't, maybe we'll get into this more after we talk about what happens in the concert. But they were, they wrote a big, huge feature that involved like eight different writers, including Lester Bangs and Grail Marcus, among others, about the whole thing. Um, and they had complaints about how the Rolling Stones are just interested in stardom, and they're totally cut off from the people, and uh, it's all a big cash grab for them. And then you can see that in several other essays as well, including... Uh, the excerpt about the events from uh, Sonny Barger, the Hells Angel, whose uh, rant on the call, on the radio talk show uh, is included in this movie. Yeah. Um, he released a book in like 2000 that uh, where he is complaining about how they were a bunch of sissy, uh, weakling, uh, rock star bitches and uh, not cool or tough at all.
1: I mean, that was a fantastic scene when he called in. I thought that was like, and they're like listening to his discussion um yeah
2: and, but the, the way the camera Amazing just stays I think it's like yeah. it's, on, it's on charlie right the drummer yeah the fact that it just it sticks on him as he's listening and you can just he's just so uncomfortable listening to this <laughs> but then when he's like but you know it was kind of impressive the way they cleared the way like oh it's just such a shame it's like dude <laughs>
1: which yeah. is why i mean part of it is that i think that to me the reason i i didn't really think about you know a cynicism as much is that I mean there's so many points when the movie is darker than that. I mean like the scenes in the lawyer's office, I don't didn't find mm-hmm. them so much cynical as they were um you know uh you know menacing or uh disturbing. Um, yeah, well contrasted because to the, you know the 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 energy that was still in the music I, well,
0: I found those scenes menacing just because we know that this laughed, last last-minute haphazard planning that we're watching leads to disaster. Right. As we watch. Yes. It. Yeah.
1: Yes. And, which and I, puts I, a much darker tone on it than just. Right. These. I guess. <laughs> right.
2: I guess here's here's where I'm coming with the cynicism. And to be fair, it's also as Paul just pointed out, or Joe, maybe I'm so tired. Um, but you know what's coming, and that's what leads leads the menace. But the cynicism to me is first of all at the Madison Square Garden concert. Not only the fact that the other band members. Just they're just they're obviously they're brilliant musicians, but they're just like doing my thing, doing my thing. And I'm going home. Um, <laughs> so you got Mick Jagger leading, you know, doing this great performance. But when he goes out and goes far out, you know, I mean, like, it, like, like I, the note I wrote down here is never is a man so little believed his own bullshit.
0: Like, ah, see, man, I,
2: just, don't, I didn't feel I that did way. I did not yeah. feel that way
1: at all. I, I mean, I thought first off, I thought the performances of the Rolling Stones in this movie um, started really good and got the ones at Altamont are fucking fantastic and weird yeah. um and uh, you know as as much as the band seemed cool to a fault on stage i it,
0: the mu- the music it, had soul in it like the sounds were working yeah, you know? yeah right well, whether that I, yeah right whether I, they're just that good
1: uh you know uh, and and you know they they sound amazing even when they don't give a shit. Um,
2: well, but here's yeah. here's where I I think I'm gonna agree with you and disagree. The Ultimate set is completely different because they're playing for their lives. Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> where, whereas Madison, and the thing is, is like they're trying to do the Madison Square Garden act. It's not working, and so it's like, oh, we gotta we gotta up this up because we. We may not make it out of here. Like, no one may make it out of here. <laughs> right. And the other the yeah. other part about the cynicism, and to be fair, this is more like Paul said, you're filling in the gaps. They were trying to out Woodstock Woodstock.
0: True. Yeah, that's true. It
2: was a speci- and the thing is, you know, I don't know if I've ever told you guys this. So my dad actually had tickets to Woodstock with his friends um, back in the day. It was day. a free show. Right, but you still needed a ticket. Like, you still needed, okay. like, to enter. But they like their car ran out of gas or like something happened. They're like, ah, you know what? It's probably not going to be that big of a deal anyway. Cause no one (laughs) knew, (laughs) no one knew. Right. And so this, this was the stones be like, no, 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 we'll do it. Like we're going to do it better. It'll be free. It'll be great. And that's, that's what I'm saying where, you know, they're consummate showmen they're going to put on a show. They're going to top it. You know, the lawyer's going to work it out. No one's going to stop them from doing this. Um, yeah. To me, the only part where they, actually open up it's when they're not saying anything it's when they're that those amazing scenes where they're listening to like the first recordings of wild horses and those tracks yeah. that, appara- that, that apparently that apparently they was awesome it was so good mm-hmm. and that's the only time keith richards ever opens up and he's not even saying he's just mouthing along to the words but that's the first time yeah. he ever drops his mask
0: yeah um um no, it, and that reminded me of the other point about why people thought the whole thing was cynical. Was yes, they were trying to out Woodstock Woodstock, and part of the the legend of Woodstock is why there were three hundred thousand fucking people at this thing. Um, and uh, so the car beeps. Um, anyway. <laughs> <Sorry>. um, <laughs> The one of the big complaints was that, oh, you said it's a free concert, but actually you're just trying to make a movie that you're going to make a bunch of money off of. And this is all coming out uh, a month after the concert, 11 months before the movie actually came out. Um, So it was immediately a big backlash about the fact that it was all viewed as a big stunt to get filmed and make a movie that would then be, uh, you know, either a make them a lot of money or b just burnish their legend and make them feel like rock gods uh and uh this was viewed as a big cynical thing god the the
1: right the thoughts people had about rock and roll back then were so much less cynical to like be be worried about this being cynical (laughs)
0: yeah no it's interesting you see already the the beginning of the or I don't know if it was the beginning but you see a lot of the debates people have had you know have to this day about authenticity amongst big-time musicians Um, maybe worse back then you know and part of it was because of getting into the culture thing uh, the degree to which they had their whole ideology wrapped up in the idea that they could do something like this And nothing bad would happen because everybody was cool and drugs and free love and rock and roll were uh, ultimately peacemaking influences. And so um, whether it was in the moment or, you know, I tend to think that particular events swinging one way don't maybe symbolically important, but they aren't what actually causes things to change. So maybe people were getting burned out and losing, becoming disenchanted with 60s ideology anyway. But this ended up being the moment people pointed to is when that whole philosophy became untenable because it just failed so spectacularly in this one case
2: and th- that's a good segue to the second half of the movie um where first of all the shot and, for, and who knows how much of this is just happy accent or whatever i don't care because it's all in the movie but that shot of the car the line of cars yes going into the yeah concert, i knew reminded, i had that same note it reminded me of, like, any disaster movie where it's, like, the comet's coming or the tidal wave. Like, you got to get out, except it's all these people going in.
0: <laughs> yeah. and, oh, man.
2: And and by the way, like, if if you ever wanted to scare a kid into not doing drugs, just show them the back half of this movie. Because, like, that. do you remember that one? It's the one guy who's just, he is tripping balls, and he grabs the guy who's the sound man, and he just goes yes. through so many emotions. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And it's like, any actor you've ever seen in your life do a a tripping ball scene, he's never going to top this guy just (laughs) going through it.
0: Yeah. So reading the articles, apparently they, at the medical tent, their initial plan for bad trips, which they had to have a a process for bad trips back then, because everybody, every big event would have a bunch of bad trips going on, was, you know, you wanted to have somebody who was experienced with tripping, uh available to have a one-to-one you know therapy session with the person having a bad trip and talk them through it but there were so many they couldn't do that so they just started giving everybody thorazine until (laughs) until they ran out of thorazine (laughs) and they had to go make an emergency run to a hospital to get more thorazine Uh, but it was just like hundreds of people showing up on bad uh on bad trips And uh, not only that, you know, they show in the movie everybody drinking tons of wine, insane amounts of it. Yeah, was that what was in the jugs? It was wine, but then also the stories in the Rolling Stone article are just like, hey, we put mescaline in it this morning. Here you go. It's really good mescaline. You should have it. And then Carlos Sinhana being like, yeah, it was the wine and everybody doing reds, which apparently is what they called barbiturates. Um, So it was just so many different types of drugs uh all at the same time i
2: mean when, when you have the guy i think it's the concert promoter who sounds like mick jagger but it's not mick jagger and even has the red yeah. jacket like jagger so that confused me for a little bit but when he's like if we all just you know if we all just be cool it's going to be the greatest party of 1969 we've ever had and you can't ask for more uh hubris you know like like, <laughs> like if you wrote yep. that yep. line you'd be like no 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 scale it back that's too on the nose <laughs>
0: And he's the guy who gets the most shit in all the recaps of what went wrong. Uh, That's uh, Sam Cutler. Mm. He was uh, managing the Stones on this tour. And um, he apparently had hired the English Hells Angels as security for their free concert in London that summer. And it turned out, unbeknownst to him, the English Hells Angels were a lot nicer than the Ah. California Hells Angels.
2: You mean the, the English Hells Angels wouldn't have punched the singer of Jefferson Airplane in the face?
0: <laughs> no, and they did not show up with leaded pool cues as their, as their enforcement mechanism. Nor, I believe, did they pay them in beer, which is what happened at this show. Like, the, the fee for the Hells Angels to do security at Altamont was $500 worth of beer.
2: Oh, my God. The,
1: uh, <laughs> I mean, the things that were happening on stage where, like, uh, the guy from Jefferson Airplane gets, you know, hit in the face... Yeah, um, and just the amount that the Hell's Angel were like participating in the concert. Um, yeah, the,
0: with, when you have a band member and the Hell's Angel yelling at each other through the sound system, like yeah. dueling public debate or something.
2: I mean, the, the up leading up until when the, the the sun goes down and the final battle begins, it just feels like it's the same dread of any good war movie where you're like, this is coming, this, yeah, this, it's not going to be good. It's. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, and apparently, so one more point on that, this is another thing that you can't really tell from the movie, but apparently the Stones waited an hour and 20 minutes between the end of um, whoever was before them, and when they came on, and people were getting really pissed off that whole time. Um, now, originally, The Grateful Dead were supposed to play in between, but they, uh, that's that's uh, Phil Lesh of The Grateful Dead is the guy who's... Talking next to the helicopter at one point about how bad things are going, mm-hmm. um, so they decided not to play because they could see it was a disaster. Um, so then the Stones waited an hour and twenty minutes. Everybody's getting really pissed off. Apparently, this is another big example of them being pre madonna's is that they didn't just come out, right. but their excuse is the bassist Bill Wyman, who's barely in the movie. Um, did not actually get on the helicopter to fly there earlier in the day, so he wasn't even there until they actually <laughs> went on. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, so that just made it that much worse, that you've got all these people at the end of a long day fucked up on every substance imaginable, just waiting around for while well, nothing's happening. I like how so.
1: terrified they were of the helicopter, too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh and then lastly they say that the sound system was terrible like you, you, nobody could hear and it was really muddy and just not Ooh. very well set up there's uh, a so great people we're just not happy
2: yeah there and there's a great shot of um i i think it's during the jefferson airplane set but like way off in the scaffolding you see one guy just like rocking out and like yeah. on top of it it's like <laughs> he should not be there <laughs> like that's
0: i was thinking that and then i was like i would probably be that guy if i were at this yeah, show. <laughs> absolutely.
2: Um, and, and so then when, when the stones start, the first image I had written down is the naked lady who just comes through like some kind of horror monster. Like she just yes. will not be stopped until she gets yeah. to the stage. She-
0: Interesting editing note on that. That was actually well after the murder. She oh. They uh, they changed the order of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the murder only happened like a third of the way through their set. They didn't know if somebody had gotten murdered. Right. and they played the rest of the time and she was a few songs later, but then they put her in earlier in the film. Uh, I liked when the dog walked across the stage. Yes. Was,
2: uh, also when, um, I forget which song it might've been under my thumb, but the guy who's on stage and you think he's a roadie, everyone thinks he's a roadie. And you realize, no, he's just some guy tripping balls, like right next to Mick Jagger. <laughs> and finally the hell's angel figures it out. It's like, Oh shit. Like throw him off stage.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, you know, so for people who don't know the story, basically, um, there'd been fights all day long from the very first act, which was Santana, um, between the Hells Angels, who were brought in for beer to be security. Except there's a lot of dispute, as you see some of in the movie, about exactly how officially they were hired to be security. Um, But um, anyway, they ended up, if they weren't actually hired to police the thing, they ended up taking that role of their own will and just deciding that nobody was going to get on the stage and you we can see in the earlier shows that people were jumping on the stage all the time at rolling stones shows apparently um but the stage here was only four feet high and had no barrier around it so it was a real problem um and so it just continuously gets worse throughout the day um and then finally when the rolling stones come on they can't get three songs in without major fights breaking out right in front of the stage uh between the hell's angels and the audience and there's there's sort of dispute about who was instigating what everybody a month after the fact seemed to blame the hell's angels. Um, but, but there's everybody also was a lot fucked of, up. Yeah, yeah. And there's also a lot of tribalism going on there where, you know, most of the people you hear about in the rock press at the time were people who were invested in the values of the rock community and against the hell's angels. So right. if you read between the lines, you know, there, you can't totally, you have to complicate that point of view is all I'm saying. Um, so certainly, they didn't seem to be doing very good things when they were beating people over the head with pool pool cues. <laughs> um, but it just gets worse and worse. And to me, the the real moment that epitomized it was there's that one shot from uh, I forget when you're doing stage directions is r- right and left. Is that from the act- actor's point of view or from the audience's point of view?
2: Actors' point of view.
0: Okay, so from the stage left. Uh, the, is where the camera is and it's looking past Mick Jagger to the right and there are like two guys right up next to the stage looking up at him one of them is this white guy with curly hair just like looking so sad and distraught looking yes. up at him and just shaking his head yes. over and over yes. <laughs> and you can see Mick Jagger standing there trying to like look out for a long time the music's playing the band's going crazy but Mick is just standing there looking out trying to see what's going on with the disturbances and then finally after being still for a long time which he never does on stage he's like I can't figure this out, fuck it. I'm gonna go do my dancing rock star routine thing, and he just goes over to the other side of the stage and starts going crazy again. yeah, that was uh, a, that was a
1: bizarre <laughs> moment because you're right. It's like when have you ever seen Mick Jagger like go out of character?
0: Yeah, yeah, and then just decide to switch it on again in a way that does sort of speak to that cynicism you were talking about, Taylor
2: true, but I, I think at that point it's it's a performance there are finally stakes. it's not yeah. just you know. And I think that's also mirrored by in the Madison Square Garden um, show when you see the when he does the final number and there's like the stagehand ready for like the thing of roses so he can like throw the rose petals, and when the show ends mm-hmm. in Altamont, it's a Hell's Angel just being like "fuck it," just throwing in the <laughs> audience, and then and then when they get on that helicopter, it's like the last helicopter out of Saigon. I mean, they yeah. cannot get out of there fast enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, it's just. It immediately became a legendary disaster. Um, you know, it's the next day. You have that radio DJ being like, "Well, we're gonna get everybody's point of view on what horrible things happened at Altamont yesterday." So call in.
2: And they they um, I, it's it's a device not used too much, which I'm glad. But it, it is effective when they do it. When they keep having the Stones watching their own tape with the documentary yeah. filmmakers, yeah. and when they run the tape back and forth with the conflict between the hell's angel and the guy in the green suit who is completely murdered. Um, <laughs> but when they're like, Oh, you can clearly see the knife, but then you can see the gun against the dress and like, they yeah. run it back and forth. Like the is film. And then to cu- and then it's devastating to cut from there to the same girl in the dress, like crying outside the helicopter being like, but what about his heart? But what about his heart? And you already know the guy's dead, but the other guy's like, yeah. Oh, we're going to put him up in the whirly bird and see what we can do.
0: And, yeah and he'll be okay he's not gonna die
2: and it's <laughs> just oh it i mean and, and, yeah. and maybe it's i mean given the just literally the events of the past few days with you know horrible things being periscoped or put on facebook live but i mean at the time this was so controversial people saying like you basically made a snuff film whether yeah. you meant to or not
0: yeah, yeah and that was that was it was you know like the Pauline kale review uh at the time she um she basically sort of strongly implied that she considered the filmmakers, uh, you know, indirectly guilty for the death because they set the whole thing up to be, um, to be, uh, you know, so that it could be filmed rather than for, uh, that's why it was happening, basically, so therefore it's their fault, which is spurious, and they came up, they had a pretty good counter-argument for that they didn't produce the concert and um, uh, they weren't controlling things uh, as much as she seemed to think, so... Uh, layoff lady is basically their point (laughs) well i mean and that's
1: and i mean maybe this is a bit of transition to the you know our kind of closing thoughts of the movie um yeah uh but you know I, i think that now it's generally accepted i mean first off the rolling stones are now like considered ambassadors of like of the best of western culture i mean they like they were the first big concert in Cuba, like this year like yeah. after Cuba opened up it was like a huge deal they're playing there like half the island went to see them um and uh you know the film this film is now probably part of that I mean this is like uh it is part of their artistic legacy I mean it's and and it's been I think as a piece of art it's now been separated from the you know the like horrible tragic event that it um, documents. um Whereas at the time there was a you know obviously this huge debate about that, now I mean to me as as you know like kind of gut wrenching as it is to watch the movie and how like sort of suspenseful it is I mean in the end I guess I I can't find myself you know caring much about the arguments about like whether it was like moral to make this movie or or whatnot or like whether they were at all responsible and just more regarding it as um, you, know, uh, a uh, you know, a brilliant, you know, a brilliant piece of filmmaking. Yeah.
2: I And I would, uh, I, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with any of that. And I, I think going way, way back to when I was like, oh, we're going to do the two, what I feel like are the two greatest concert films, people are like, oh, what about this? What about that? We're going to talk about Stop Making Sense in a moment. But the thing about Gimme Shelter that I have never seen any other concert film do is not only. Make you feel like you're there, but in a way where it's like, and it's not okay. Like, because not all rock shows yeah, are going to be a good time. True. And most concert films are cut together to be like, hey, this is just as good as if you were there. And this is the only one where it's like, yeah, we were there. Y- you wouldn't have wanted to be. But, <laughs> but not because it's a bad show because they're bad artists, but like shit got real in a way that's important. Yeah, and to really mark something in time. And to be fair, I I know a lot of people also say the movie Woodstock is one of the greatest. I've never been able to get through all of it, not because it's bad, but just because it's so long. And also, I mean, like, (laughs) but Woodstock is is about so many things. You can look at so many new prisms, and this is, like, a 90-minute laser focused in on, like, here's a band at, like, the height of their power. They were in control, and then they lost control, and then we all lost control.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for me... What I found fascinating about it was, you know, A, like, like you've, been, you've both been saying, it just uh, formally, it works beautifully as a, uh, a sort of a horror movie or a war movie. Yeah. Um, uh, which is heightened by the fact that they, they use. Sorry. Joe, did you just start your motorcycle up in your house like a true Hells Angels? <laughs> I did. I did. I
1: have the Hells Angels here with me.
2: <laughs> uh. <laughs> Go on Paul. Uh,
0: yeah, anyway, um you know it, that effect is really enhanced by the direct cinema style they used, which is the term they used of having no interviews and no uh recreations of any kind. Um so uh you know that's why they're showing them looking at the footage. Is that's the closest they would allow themselves to come to commenting after the fact on the events. Um, but, um, so that really works just, you know, a a really nice marriage of technique and form there. But then just uh, one of my things I'm always interested in is like the philosophical history of our culture and any culture. Mm -hmm. So the way this became, um, you know, at a moment of extreme change in philosophy, the way this became just such a turning point. Again, you know, like I said, I think turning points like this are constructed as much as they exist on their own. You know, probably the 60s was going to end in disillusion, uh, whether Altamont happened or not. But it became such a powerful metaphor for uh, that process that, um, you know, and then it became basically a, a political football. Like in a lot of ways, this is a very political film because of all those ideas of you know what culture should be and how people should live with each other and Mm -hmm. what is possible through different ways of living um that it makes this just a totally fascinating document of its time
1: yes thumbs up (laughs) and uh, yeah it's i i think the the only thing left to say is that um if you haven't seen it uh you know it's streaming on hulu uh Mm-hmm. go watch it. It's worth ninety minutes. You'll be utterly
0: transfixed yes from absolutely don't do don't take too many reds uh before you do no. so or yeah yeah take just take just the right amount of reds <laughs> <laughs> not too many all right so uh now I guess we'll move to talk about a movie that uh really by accident I, I think contrasts with this in a lot of interesting ways. And uh, to lead us into that, Taylor, I believe you were going to uh, give us a little preview of your own uh, podcasting work that people can soon enjoy.
2: This is true. Um, so I have been working on a podcast called Mainstream Cult, as in mainstream <laughs> film, cult film, but just mainstream cult. Um, we are currently recording. We don't have anything up yet, but hopefully by the time this podcast goes live, we should at least have a listing on SoundCloud, and we hope to have stuff coming soon. Um we're looking at stuff from a lot of different angles, but we're also trying to break it up into little segments, and one of the segments is called... That
0: That stuff being films, by the way. I yes. don't know if you said <laughs> that. God, oh
2: God I'm, I'm so... Guys, I'm so tired. Um,
0: We've only got two more
1: hours to go. Uh, ha, 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 ha.
2: Uh, so one of the segments is called Dear Criterion. Uh-huh. And the idea is, you know, if they're listening, which they're not, but if they were listening, dear Criterion, please include the following film in your collection under the following three criteria. One, they've, huh. they've never released it before, which seems obvious, but there's a lot of times they've released stuff on Laserdisc or DVD, and then they don't have a newer edition. And with that, it's sort of like, you know what, they had their shot, and they decided not to re-up the license, so fine. Um Second disqualifier is if it does exist, but the edition is really awesome. Like, if there already is a great Blu-ray with special features, then it doesn't need the criterion treatment. It's already, you know, it's out there. And three is um, also, for instance, with this movie in particular, if the transfer is shit, if it's only in full screen for whatever reason, which this movie is. Um, And the third is just that it has to be criterion level, meaning it's either great, it's important, or it's unique, or all three. Um, So my pitch would be Dear Criterion, please add the movie True Stories to your collection. And why it's relevant to this is that directed by David Byrne, lead man of the Talking Heads, it's the only fiction film he's ever made that's been released. I looked on IMDb. There's been a few others, but there is no star rating. You cannot buy them. So I don't know if it's just like in the David Byrne vault. I bet when David Byrne dies, it's going to be like Prince. There's all this shit he's been working on for years. They've just been like, yeah, it's not the right time. Um, But True Stories is also 90 Minutes it's one of the most beautifully bizarre films i've ever seen um it has john goodman spaulding gray it has all this original talking heads music but it's a 90 minute faux documentary of a town that does not exist called virgil texas and david Byrne is both the narrator and a character just in a very pleasant monotone describing all these various things but also it's talking in non sequiturs it is shot like unlike any movie you've ever seen there's kind of a story but not really it's more just every frame is so overflowing with life all these people you don't even know their names they just you can tell immediately by looking at them they have their own whole story going on and it's unlike anything you've ever seen and you can only get it in DVD full screen featureless from Warner Brothers Mm. and apparently Mm. Warner Brothers did not know what to do with this film they tried to market it just as a musical and it does have music in it does have music numbers but it's just there is nothing else like it um and apparently david Byrne also hired like a whole like at least 30 or 40 sets of twins to work on the movie but they're not even really characters they're just they're just all through the movie and it's it's the kind of film where like clearly now actors you're all, talking <laughs> clearly the <laughs> actors are like well this is happening so okay um but john goodman is wonderful in it he sings a wonderful song um I, I, I'm not, this is not probably my best pitch, but the point is, it is beautiful. It is weird. Warner Brothers didn't know what to do with it. It is misunderstood, and the current edition sucks. It's a perfect candidate for the Criterion Collection, and it should be on there. So let's talk about Stop Making Sense. I, I would right. borrow your copy of that movie for sure. sure.
0: Have you have you watched True Stories, Joe?
2: Uh,
1: yes. Uh, no, I
0: never have, actually.
1: Yes, but I was, I don't know. I need to watch it again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if if you were just like, oh, cool, a Talking Heads movie, this will be fun, and and if you watch that movie, you're like, what the fuck was that? But like, if you really look at it for what it is, for what it's very honestly trying to be, it's it's so funny, so sad, in like, and only ninety minutes, but you feel like you've been in another world for a long time, but not in a bad way.
1: I think the problem is I watched it when I was like in in college, like you know, like a sophomore in college and something, and I was trying too hard to like really get it man and i, yeah. I think i was like <laughs> I, I i didn't really enjoy it because i was like this is gonna be an experience i will be <laughs> transformed sort it's... of like what like when i rented like um rent like one of those koyana movies back then or like baraka uh, oh movies. yeah, yeah. You're like yes we're so cool <laughs> for watching this movie in our dorm on a tiny television
0: to be fair, I still uh, approach a lot of art that way, so I don't... That's I don't, true. I don't hate old you, Joe. Okay.
2: <laughs> I, I would also add that it, it takes on a whole other level because it's very much like, this is what life is like in 1986, and man, has life changed since then. So not only does it work as a piece of art, but as a period piece also, because like there's all this talk about like, oh, malls have replaced the town square, and this is what this is, and we're all working in these technology things now. We make things, and none of that shit's true anymore, so...
1: Let me just say, Taylor, I'm very excited to hear your podcast. Uh, Yes. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Uh, I can't. I can't. I'm really excited for Lyle to listen to it while he's on the John. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I I, I
0: thought you were going to say while masturbating, but um, maybe both. Maybe both. And we've
1: just. This can happen at the same time. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you know, Paul, last time we lost a bunch of people like 10 minutes in when you were talking about having to take a shit and now they had to wait a whole hour before, you know, our, <laughs> our parents and our English teacher formally just tuned right out. So.
0: <laughs> All to save them from the worst atrocities to come.
1: delighted to introduce this movie uh it's not just my favorite concert movie it's one of my favorite movies of all time uh talking heads uh stop making sense um it uh documents um the talking heads uh talk documents uh 3 nights of their tour um uh for uh the album speaking in tongues which came out in 1983 um, uh, and uh the the footage from those three nights are uh, edited together to into uh you know just w- uh, one cohesive concert um and uh uh the general premise of the movie is that uh you know the concert opens the curtain goes up on a bare stage and david byrne comes out uh, with just a boombox and a guitar and uh, plays psycho killer and as he does that um you know, the, the, the scene starts to be built around him, like the, the techs come out and are actually like putting the equipment together for the show, like as he plays. And that goes on for about like the first half of the show where they are like literally assembling the stage and bringing out new musicians, uh, with each song. Um, and, uh, and then the second half of the show, uh, you know, they, they're kind of then fully formed. Uh, they're doing some, Really amazing, like simplistic, minimalist, uh, visual things on stage. And then for the last, uh, last three or four songs, David Byrne is wears a giant suit and dances around on stage in the giant suit. Um, and, uh, then the concert's over. Uh, and, um, uh, I just, I want to start off by saying what's remarkable to me about this movie is that there are absolutely no extra extras. You know, there's no interviews with, you know, or sort of visual tricks that are outside of what they're doing, you know, what you would have seen at the concert. Um, You know, it's still this really moving experience uh, because, like, all that power, it's right there on the stage. Like, you would have felt the same seeing the show, and it, like, sort of perfectly captures... Um you know, what a brilliant actor David Byrne is and like the emotion and narrative he brings um, you know, when he's recording music, uh, he he also brings it here uh, in his stage performance uh, and, uh, and and it makes it a singular experience to me.
2: And it, yeah, to really contrast it with uh, give me shelter, not just the ultimate performance, but just in general. I mean, you have a show that starts, so low-key. I mean, I think the actual line is, hi, I have a tape I want to play you, and he just starts <laughs> yeah. the boombox and goes, to then build up to that emotional crescendo of not only is David Byrne giving it his all in that finale, but, like, every member of the band is just rocking their ass off. I mean, the sweat's just pouring off all of them, but not in a desperate way, And just like a there is nothing better than this. Like, no one looks hap- any happier than they could ever be, to be performing that final number or just to be in that moment
0: yeah and that's so this is another interesting contrast here that gets into what you're going at is um you know so this is like the most uh clearly planned out um uh tightly choreographed uh you know premeditated Uh, type of show, which is not to say that it's dead or or, or bad in any way. But then you compare that with our other movie, Gimme Shelter, which was half-assed thrown together at the last minute and uh, ended up being remarkable because of the completely unplanned uh, disaster that happened during it. So uh, I thought that was an interesting, serendipitous uh, uh, comparison between the two.
2: And I think also... You're right with the choreography, but it's interesting that in that choreography, at least David Byrne, I think through David Byrne, the other band members too, I don't know if it's improvisation because you're right, it's so tightly planned. But it doesn't the set the set piece moving in feel planned, but his performance does not feel you know.
0: Yeah, I didn't mean that the dance steps were choreographed. I meant in a in a production sense, it's choreographed. Oh, completely, completely, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: And I, I think also the fact that it it starts as such a throwaway, so it feels it feels like many other concert films, in fact, a joke on many other concert films, like, hey, they're just performing with them. By the time you hit that second mark, it's such a visual experience, whereas previously it had only been really an audio experience.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting how minimalist a lot of the, you know, especially that first half, and then, uh, you know, the switch for me was when they went from uh, lighting from above to lighting from below. Um mm. And at the same time, uh, the camera angles uh, become much more predominantly close-up, tight-in shots yeah. as opposed to wide shots, uh, you know, probably partially to take advantage of the eerie effect on the faces of the under-lighting. And um, that part, I think, was my favorite. It was uh, I forget which song it is, but the first one with the, with the lighting from below like that. Uh, just watching David Byrne wail. Uh, with shadows going up over his eyes is is super intense
1: yeah I mean um, I, I had uh Taylor and I actually got the chance to see this uh movie in the theaters um recently, which was uh just another level I thought I mean I didn't realize how powerful this would be at you know full size and full volume and uh, mm. yeah that you know I think Paul I think I'm not sure if it's the song you're thinking of, but I think a good example of it is uh, when they play uh uh, what a day that was. Yes. Uh, That's it. Actually, Yeah. I mean, just, um, and, and seeing that on the big screen, um, I I think, uh, even when I was watching it, Alex was there. We just like, you know, Alex turned to me after that one. She was like, this is
2: awesome. (laughs) And and not Um, just on a big screen, but a theater full of people who either knew the words or knew the music or both, you know, like everyone wanted to be there. Yes.
1: That's cool. Um, it's a, you know, it's kind of a, it's, I don't want to say it's, it, it it's like a, it's kind of joyful, but like in a very like uh, vulnerable way to watch this movie. I don't, I don't know. There's something. Well, see that. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I was trying to tease out that, that feeling you're talking about because it's, uh you know, so the talking heads ethos is, you know, there's a lot of sort of, um. Uh, parody of whiteness, of bourgeois uh, going on in the... I mean, the lyrics are sometimes pretty straightforward about um, the drawing up ironies about bourgeois life. Uh, you know, that's what... Um, God damn it, why is why do the song titles go out of my head? They're big single. Um, once, in a the day, yeah, once in a Lifetime. Yeah, Once in a Lifetime, sorry. Um, anyway, that's clearly, you know, that's the obvious theme of that song. Um, but so then you you see the, a lot of his, his tics, David Byrne's ticks and uh, gyrations in this sort of feel like the physical expression of that, uh, tightly wound, um, just, uh, you know, um, dystopic, uh, feeling of being trapped in your own life. Um, but, uh, that's not really where it ends. He then sort of transcends that and it ends up being not just a parody of sort of people whose lives are constricted and strangled by their obligations and their devotion to their material well-being but he actually I think um, finds a way to uh, sort of tease out the the joy and um, the pathos also that can be achieved you know even even being the kind of person who lives that kind of life you know he's Basically, he draws a full, a more full picture of the emotions of the modern, uh, you know, salary man. That's my take on it.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, and I, well, that's (laughs) echoed in the fact that, um, you know, a lot of these songs, I heard them first, either in this movie or or on the soundtrack album, which I sort of played into the ground, and so then when I got the original studio versions, I was, like, Psycho Killer, for instance, that, I mean, those they could not feel more different the studio version versus the live version, even though it's the same words, it's the same performer. Um, one is much more analytical and the other is much more just joyous. And I think that Mm -hmm. energy sort of infects most of the songs, um, in this entire film in a good way. Not, and, and that's not saying the studio cuts are bad. It's just, I feel like they're to completely separate effects. Um, which also speaks to how this is not just another... This is not just like, hey, it's like Bob... Here's Bob Dylan in concert. Like, he is clearly trying to achieve something else, not just visually, but audio-wise, and they get there, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then I think there's um, sort of the contrast to that, uh, that performance and that kind of political... Uh, Or at least, uh, like, consumer commentary portion of it when, you know, you get to um, Naive Melody and he's just singing a love song and dancing with a lamp on stage, which is,
2: oh, it's so beautiful. It's stupid, (laughs) but it's so beautiful.
1: It's great performance art. I mean, it's just, it's great dancing, you know, and it's, yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's really moving, um, especially uh, kind of bracketed by, you know, their, you know, sometimes more abrasive—the more abrasive message of their other, or at uh, least alienating messages of their other songs.
0: Yeah, and that that song is really sort of the apotheosis of what I was talking about there, of finding sort of more the the way to transcend that that culture he parodies a lot. And I feel like you know, it's in a way of again, it's it doesn't feel to me like he's. He's doing it from the same perspective in a lot of ways you know it's the same the narrator of uh, of um, once in a lifetime could also be the narrator of uh, uh, this must be the place yeah um, just you know at a different time
2: and he he actually plays that same narrator in true stories he does, the guy doesn't even have a name but it's it's clearly the same like he just took a lot of his lyrics that he would he would have sung and just says them while driving a car I mean it's <laughs> I, I also like, have to yeah, like you I have, do. yeah I also have to point out um, <laughs> on bringing down the house not only is it such a I, I don't know what's the opposite of like it's ominous but in a joyful way sort of like just the anticipation of building up to it, building up to it like it's tension wounding but not as something bad's gonna happen something amazing is gonna happen and then that drum break into the first part I, I, just, I can hear it just thinking about it and to see that viscerally it's like is there such a thing as happy explosive drumming because you get to see that you know like
0: oh yeah totally um that makes a lot happy of Happy little explosions <laughs> <laughs> one thing we do need to definitely talk about here is uh chris france's rapping uh during the tom tom club song uh um, yeah because- <laughs> wow
1: that is an odd five minutes of this movie <laughs>
2: you know d- david Byrd needs to pee like, he <laughs> needs need to, to get his
1: big suit on yeah <laughs> uh but hey that's genius of love it's a it's a fucking cool song
0: it is can't uh it even if it. i even if i can only hear the mariah carey version every time it comes on yes it, um
2: you know d- did i ever um did i ever tell you guys about the weirdo concert i saw like pleasure island back in like 1997 I forget this story. Okay, I'll, I'll make it quick, and it's relevant. So, I you know, I'm, I'm like 13. I'm seeing Weird Al live. You know, it's before I really got into other rock music, and so it's the coolest thing I've ever seen because it's Weird Al. Um, but so the second-to-last song, they just play the video for Jurassic Park, his parody song, and the band is there playing, but they're just playing the video, and you don't see Al, so you're like, well, this is odd. What's happening? And then the finale, they start playing the fat video, where in the video he blows up from Weird Al into, like, fat Weird Al. And then when that happens, Weird Al Yankovic bursts through the screen in the fat suit and then performed fat. <laughs> yes. And when you're 13 or 12 and a nerd, that is the coolest thing you've ever seen in your life. Of course. And so that, that's the connection I make where, where I'm sure David Byrne's like, well, this song was very successful and popular and people like it, and I need a break. So, hey, guys, it's the Tom, Tom Club. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah it also makes them feel better for clearly being way less cool and interesting than him um but you know
2: you know but that, not everybody that, can be David Byrne. you know that song did very well for them so it did <laughs> but yeah it's a weird five minutes
0: um it's psychedelic and funkadelic as Chris France informs us.
2: I'd kind of like to wrap it up. Um, Joe, I remember I quoted some of these words to you before. um, but So this is from the Ebert review of Stop Making Sense, which he gave three and a half stars out of four, but the review reads like a four-star review, so I don't know what's up with that. But he says, "The, uh, the overwhelming impression throughout Stop Making Sense is of enormous energy, of life being lived at a joyous high, not the frantic, jangled nerves energy of a rock band that's wired. It's the high spirits and good health we associate with artists like Bruce Springsteen, which... Joe, you can speak to that having been to a Springsteen concert. (laughs) Um, But he talks about, like, the film's peak moments come through Byrne's simple physical presence. He jogs in place with his side men. He runs around the stage. He seems so happy to be alive and making music. Like Springsteen and Prince, mm, he serves as a reminder of how sour and weary and strung out many rock bands have become.
0: Wait, Ebert said that? Yeah. Because Pauline Kael also said that. Hmm. Oh, no, wait. No, I read that quote somewhere else. Sorry. <laughs> I'm looking at the wrong page. Okay.
2: But anyway, I, I just, I, I think he nails just, you know, if if Jimmy Shelter's about like, hey, kids, don't do drugs, because this is what's going to happen. Um, you could be excused for thinking that these guys are high, but I don't think they are. They're just, this is the happy, you know, this is what they were meant to do, and they're getting paid to do it, and they're killing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they... There is something to be said that uh, the Talking Heads were not in it to be cool rock stars, but to make fucking awesome music first. Um, yes. There's, uh, they definitely, um, well, we're, we're, we're lucky that, that that was their approach.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of good quotes from movie critics, uh, here is one from the Pauline Kael review for, er, for real. She said, uh, seeing the movie is like going to an austere orgy, which turns out to be just what you wanted. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. And to to sum up my thoughts, uh, just that sort of hints at one of the other interesting contrasts to me between these two movies, which was sort of the the broad range of what rock and roll swung between in just uh, like 14 years there. Which is, you know, with the Rolling Stones, it's like uh, five white guys trying as hard as they can to sound like they're black blues musician heroes, like extremely hard. Mm-hmm. And that's really uh, pointedly what they're going for, um, to make this sort of extremely libidinous, uh, uh, fulsome music that's, um, you know, just sort of, uh, its it's absolutely... Uh, the furthest thing from Mechanical. And then 14 years later, uh, a band that was really popular with, as far as I can tell, the same generation of people um, is doing kind of the exact opposite, making rock and roll into um, an extremely clean-cut neurotic type of thing. And obviously, as we discussed, this performance is more joyful than perhaps their their on-record work. But still, it's like... uh, a lot of that that um, that sort of blues feeling has just been utterly drained out of, uh, even though there's some funk to The Talking Heads, uh, that, I don't know, there's something about that Mississippi Delta feeling that's just totally absent from The Talking Heads and mm-hmm. the way that it dominates the Rolling Stones. So um, Yet another way these movies just really strike you in different ways when you watch them back to back.
2: I will say one, one thread they have in common, which to me, again, having not seen The Last Waltz, which I hear is fantastic, but what these two movies do that no other concert film has done for me is that instead of being oh i wish i was there you are there <laughs> now whether you want to be there or not is a different thing but but especially joe when we saw stop making sense in the theater it was like i how could this be any different from if i in fact this is more intense than if i was there and with gimme shelter it's like wow this i feel like i'm there i'm so glad i'm not i <laughs> right
1: yeah i mean that that's like it's uh it's amazing how sanitized the concert going experience is like thirteen years later by the when we get to the talking heads. Um, yeah, that uh you know uh this is this has become high art that the people that you know the nineteen year olds who are at Ultimate are now at this concert and they're thirty-two or thirty-three and they are looking at rock and roll music, their rock music as high art. And sort of all the Mm -hmm. animal instincts um, from, you know, that were once in mainstream rock have now gone off to to punk and other places uh, and are no longer part of that
2: mainstream rock experience. And what, yeah. and what about the children who were apparently at Altamont? Because uh, we see several shots of them, like
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. small children. <laughs> um, yeah.
2: You know, do, do they grow up to be Billy Corgan? I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: that is the right age. I believe he was born in 67. So, yeah, that's a lot of the, uh, the alt-rock uh, alternative uh, guys that we grew up with uh, would have been you know conceived around altamont
2: they, they they say at the top of give me shelter well there were four births and four deaths and it's like why would anyone that pregnant be there i mean i know it's the 60s but then you can't and how, miss it taylor you couldn't miss this yeah. show but then, but then how did only four people die like it really it really seems like more there are people in there where it's like they didn't make it out a lot like that one guy who's crowd surfing and no one wants anything to do with him and he clearly has no idea what, like <laughs> He's dead, right? I mean, <laughs> there's, there's yeah. No, way. Now,
0: apparently they had a, a really huge number of injuries, and um, the medical facilities were not set up properly. So only four died, but uh, lots more people got fucked up real hard. So, <laughs> give me shelter. That's how the dream dies. Just give me. Sh- <laughs> well,
2: also those. We, we actually. Why don't we end on this? Because we didn't talk about it. The over, the, like the credits are about to roll on "Give Me Shelter," and they're actually playing "Give Me Shelter," and all the fans are leaving and like they look like survivors from a war like they've mm, yeah. seen shit they cannot unsee
0: yeah and a lot of them had to hike 8 miles to their cars out oh, of that sh- and then found them that they had been towed by the cops <laughs> <laughs> wow
1: wow all right so so final question here um, let's say you're talking to a listener and they're like okay I want to watch one of these movies this weekend which which do you tell them to watch first
0: uh hmm i think i think you have to watch the 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 chronological aspect of it i think makes it a better idea to go with gimme shelter first just because the evolution of the culture is an interesting way to experience these.
1: you'd say that like even if like they weren't going to get around to stop making sense like if they're not going to get around to the other movie for a while which do you tell them to watch
0: i so to be honest go ahead i'll I'll say i i would you
2: know but for the events of this year I would my answer would be stop making sense but with a lot of the shit that's going on now I give me shelter it hit me even mm. more last night especially with everything that's going on now like there's a lot of stuff in there that it's it's important to know that went down in 1969 yeah because it's yeah. kind of happening again not so much with the music but everything else that's going on in there like it's important so i would say that
0: yeah to me I- it's interesting you know like i'm a big talking heads fan uh, especially their first five albums i really love but because that their music had so little influence right when i was becoming musically aware um you know like the music the sort of alt rock i first got into as like you know when my taste was really crystallizing was i can't think of any way it reflected the talking heads really um their music feels much more alien to me than does the Rolling Stones, um, who I feel like there's a lot more Rolling Stones in the type of music I first got into than there was Talking Heads. And so even though it was further away chronologically, uh, I feel more like I'm watching something that relates to me when I'm watching Gimme Shelter than I do Stop Making Sense, even though Stop Making Sense is awesome uh is an awesome piece of art it feels like a different time it feels like something that got beamed in from a different timeline to me so i don't know to yeah. me i feel like most people would respond better to give me shelter yeah that's,
1: that's, i huh. yeah i mean i i think that um you guys both voted give me shelter um it's i, I think i leaned for like the reasons taylor said that i think it's kind of a, seems essential at this moment just dealing with you know fear of change um, uh, mm-hmm. even though of course that's like that sort of theme is like just totally central to both talking head songs just fear um, that's true uh, but yeah so I mean I'll be uh, uh, just to be contradictory I mean I would say <laughs> you know stop making sense I think as an if you're interested in kind of the ultimate pure concert film. Um, that's not about, you yeah. know, the chain, you know, some changing cultural tide, uh, which so many of them are, um, uh, or like trying to capture something beyond <laughs> what's just on stage. Um, I think Stop Making Sense is great. And I think the music in it is fantastic. Um, and, uh, you know, you could come away from it being a convert to uh, the Talking Heads, as I did when I first... Uh, heard it as we discussed in our podcast last week,
2: and and Paul, it's even though I'm not changing my vote, it, it is interesting when you're talking about oh I came to it later and it's kind of alien. Talking Heads was really the first older band that after I, after I saw and listened to this album, I went I went to the UCD stores, I went down the rabbit hole. I was like I want to get my hands on everything. Yeah, and so it it is really that kind of movie for me. It's very very important to me, but when i was watching them preparing for this just it was amazing to me it's like wow it's not making sense like you put it in a time capsule it's always going to work but give me shelter even though i loved it before it's like this feels very relevant now
0: yeah no that makes a lot of sense all right guys well um i'll do the sign off i guess unless anybody has any final 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 thoughts same as Uh, same as it ever was
2: same (laughs) as it ever was
0: all right, um, we're all coming down from our mescaline high, and uh, it's time for me to tell you that you can find us on Twitter at Savage Beast Pod. SavageBeastPod dot com is our website, and Savage at gmail.com is our email. Did so you check please. the email yet? No, of course not. Um, anyway, <laughs> maybe don't email uh, us. You know, tweet, tweet <laughs> us and let it tweet us and tell us you've sent us an email. I'm gonna not only check it but forward it to both of our email accounts too. Okay. Um, shit got real (laughs) anyway um so there's all those ways also please rate us review us and subscribe to us on itunes and any other uh platform you care to use we really appreciate it um but uh we've had a lot of fun doing this and thank you taylor for coming on we look forward to uh, uh mainstream cult
2: other than how exhausted i am it is worth staying up to be with you fine gentlemen and yes uh mainstream cult coming soon to a soundcloud itunes near you and actually we do have an email which goes straight to my phone so i will be checking it it is mainstream.cult at gmail.com
0: all right so eventually
2: eventually that will be relevant
0: cool so long everybody bye
2: everybody same as it ever was
0: same as it ever was look where my hand was (laughs) my god what have i done